Hey everybody, this is Scott. Uh, in March of 2019, we did a series on Loftus Hall in Ireland. If you haven't heard those two episodes, the bonus show we're posting today might make a little more sense if you check them out, but even if you don't, we think you'll enjoy this. Back when Forrest worked up the outline for the Loftus Hall series, he went down a rabbit hole related to the story. That rabbit hole was the infamous Hellfire Club. Several clubs took that name, but the one in Dublin is one of the most notorious, and tonight you'll hear why. Needless to say, Forrest's research on this was extensive, but a bit off topic, so we cut it from the main show. However, we still thought it was pretty fascinating content, so we asked Sarah to edit it together for us so we could present it as bonus content on our Patreon page, and, and that's what we did, posting it in April of 2019. So if you're a patron at patreon.com astonishinglegends, you may have already heard this, and as always, thank you so much for your support. But if you're not, then this is going to be new content for you. Uh, since this was a bonus show initially, and, and we're technically dark this week, it's presented a little rough around the edges and entirely commercial-free. It's our way of saying thank you for sticking with us, and we hope it'll provide a nice distraction given the current state of global affairs. We'll be back with a new show next week, where Rich Haddam joins us again, and in a strange turn of events, acts as the host of the show, interviewing Forrest and I, and not only with his own questions, but one submitted by you guys on our Facebook and Twitter pages as well. Part one of two of that drops next weekend, July 11th, 2020. It's the most candid conversation we've ever recorded, and it provides a little insight into how we got started, where we are now, and where we hope to go in the near future. But that's for next week. For now, enjoy this dive into the Hellfire Club of Dublin, and we'll see you back here in six days. Folks, this is a Patreon bonus show on the Hellfire Club, which is something that we stumbled across when we were doing the when we were doing the Loftus Hall series. See, that's an example, Sarah, of something you don't have to fix if you don't want to. It's completely up to you. Oh, but she has to cut that part. No, she doesn't. She can leave it all. Okay. This is you're looking behind the curtain here, folks. We're we're doing a much more casual show for Patreon because we know you're our friends and you're not going to send us angry emails, oh, right? Well, I wouldn't count on that. They're probably <laughs> still doing that anonymously, but yeah, we're not Stop. here to waste your time. No, we are here to waste your time <laughs> okay. because uh, who needs to know about the Hellfire Club right this minute unless you're planning on joining. So we are going to talk about the Hellfire Club because Forrest dug up a lot of really cool information about it while we were doing the Loftus Hall series and we cut it out of the show because the show was already, as I like to say, interminably long. Well, we mentioned it and then it got a little sloppy and then Scott criticized me because it, this it was is disjointed. I don't get it. It's like, yeah, because I it's not my fault. started the introduction to this whole section where we we talk about the connections possibly. And then he's like, well, this is all too long. And I, I kind of agreed 
It was a lot of was, names um, of people, well, not and not only that, he doesn't all their, like names. Well, no, all their names were the same. It was like Henry was the son of Henry Henry, oh, who yeah. Henry the Henry, and Henry's milkman is yeah. in the painting. <laughs> right, but we ran into that before, and you certainly know plenty about that because you are a genealogy buff, and you've looked through Ancestry.com quite a bit, and yes. you know that that's a tradition with families from the past. You name your children after some beloved uncle. So yeah, there's three Henrys in one or two generations, you know, uncles and cousins and all that. So they reused a lot of the names. So that's where it got confusing with this. Yeah. But people did ask us about any connection to a Hellfire Club and Henry Loftus. Specifically, you know, there's a, a story about somebody at the Hellfire Club playing cards with the devil. Uh, right. They didn't know it at first, but they started playing cards. And of course, he got discovered. Somebody dropped a card. That's usually how this happens. And they see a hoof. Poof, he goes through the roof. This is one of uh, three locations that the story supposedly takes place at, right? I mean, the Lo uh, Loftus Hall is the most anchored one, I believe, in Ireland. But there are offshoots where it's Tottenham Green or the Hellfire Club. Well, or... there's, okay, yeah. So if we're talking about Loftus Hall specifically and... You have to remember, we covered this a couple of weeks ago now, right? Gosh, it seems like such a blur. Know. Time but, runs together but for we, us. <laughs> we cram our brains, and then the cash gets full. Then we have to uh, just flush it and then go on to some other things. So we're looking at this whole section where, you know, I took a bunch of notes regarding the point earlier is that, yeah, it might have been a little disjointed because I started off, you know, I'd written all this whole thing out, which kind of connects the whole story. Because what we found is that there are several Hellfire Clubs, and there's a bunch of Loftuses, there's a bunch of Tottenhams, and there's a bunch of Ponsonbys, which is a married-in part of the, uh, the family name, and they're all related. And, of course, this is England and Ireland. It's the lovely United Kingdom nowadays, but back then there's a lot of crossover. So it gets I feel like kind Chris, of confusing. Chris Rush had implied, though, that this particular one that we're talking about is kind of considered the first one this, because it's associated with Dublin. The Dublin Hellfire Club was is like the original, and then it went on and moved to different places well, and more branches and that sort of thing. Well, we're going to take a look at that because well, let's take I don't a look re at I don't remember that specifically. Well, not that Well, part. I just remember him mentioning yeah. it. I don't know if it's in your notes, but I do remember him saying something about that. So we'll put that on him if it's There wrong. is an order. So yeah, so but we've <laughs> Sorry, had a Chris. few uh we've had a oh, few Oh, he won't hear this. He's not a patron. We can say whatever we no, want. No, we him. could we're probably going to give him a link or something. Oh, we are. As okay. a courtesy right, and it's not so much a favor to making somebody sit through all this certainly, but the idea is that there is a lineage to this idea and it's got its own folklore and we've had more than a few listeners. I can't remember who first approached us. Maybe one of our Irish listeners talk about Richard Parsons. She's talking about Parsons and and the uh, conspiracy. Yeah, all that yeah. and uh Alistair Crowley and the whole setup here. That's a whole other show, which a lot of other podcasts have covered. But for us, it was kind of a significant name. And people have been asking us to cover him and the Irish Hellfire Club. But there's been a few around there. So you have to be specific because they kind of pop up and there's variations of that. So when we take a look at this, we're going to back up basically to our outline here for this section and kind of recap and then kind of read it through while Scott pokes fun at me. Yes, I'm going to ask you all kinds of questions. If, if I get confused, yeah. which I do very easily, I do know a little bit of this stuff, though. Probably some of it come back to you. So starting off, the preface to this section is taking a look at 
you know, why are these stories coming out of here about being haunted and what's going on? And that was the few arguments or criticisms or downright shamings that we've received as emails or people saying, like, I don't care a whit about this history. Just tell me the bloody ghost story already. And our point is, well, we did up front and it took five minutes. Subscribe so, to Lore. So, well, Subscribe to Lore. Yeah, this would have been your a, show. No, this would have been a great <laughs> no offense, Lore show. No, we, no, I, I like Lore. We like Lore. We like Aaron. He's a friend of ours on Twitter. But that's a shorter version. Of course, now he is doing a show like ours. It's supposed to be deeper oh, dives he? and all well, that. I, that's he, what I heard. Boy, he's just shot himself in both feet. I'm still wondering uh, <laughs> how he got the idea for Henry Plummer, but, you know. Like I think that it, one was out there. I even think for it's us. a researcher. It's not so much him. I think at this point, though, he's got somebody helping him find stories. As, how do we you know, how do we poach those people? Uh, Actually, well, we have stories. Yeah, what we, we already is... thought about it. See, we don't need people like that to think yeah. about it. We do think about it, and we have to decide: is it something that has legs? And in the case of Loftus Hall, it's like, well, that's a great Tony, one of our Irish listeners that we love. He's been uh, throwing that at us, literally uh, sending us the book and the DVD, and and urging us to cover it quite a bit. And as I was saying, we had people say, you should cover this Hellfire Club. It's really fascinating. But for a story for us to cover, because we're not doing it in 25 minutes like Lore, where you can beautifully relay a little ghost story or a patch of history and then move on and have two or three of those in a show or an episode that's a half hour long. Yes. And then uh, and then move on and get on with his life. You know, where we have to think is there enough here to cover? So this little section, it's like, yeah, we could do something on the Hellfire Club as a whole show in itself, but really, let's save that. There's probably going to be not quite an hour. I don't know how long it's going to take, certainly, but this nice little section here with our, our lovely comments on something that is genuinely fascinating. So as we were talking about it, you know, I was getting back to my point here, people saying like, well, just tell me the ghost story. It's like, well, uh, yeah, we did. But as we do on the show, we look at the history and the legend and lore behind it and try and figure out like, well, why did this ghost story come out of this particular place? What is it about this place? Same thing with Pontifract. When we look at that, it's like, is it a haunted house just because it's, you know, is it somebody in there? Did somebody bring in a haunted toaster or a Ouija board? What's going on there? And when you dig down into it, it's like, it's literally in the ground. The most fascinating thing about that story, when we talk to the, the woman who owns the adjacent house, the council house, is that her husband, one of her, you know, I think an ex-husband maybe, had was digging in the basement, found an old well, and these stones with these creepy, you know, Symbols, <laughs> Led yes. Zeppelin Zoso <laughs> inscriptions on them, dealing with witchcraft or alchemy or something. It's like, is this place cursed? What's going on here? Does it have anything to do with that? So I, I find that's fascinating, whether it's true or not. When you look back, you usually find something that is anchored to the land and the buildings and the activities that went on there. So if you look at the Hook Peninsula, County Wexford, you can see that people have associated Druid practices way back when. And uh, there was an article that's kind of fun to read, The Haunted Hall of Dreams by Brent Swanser, and that's on the Mysterious Universe blog. He, he wrote a little something about Loftus and just, you know, he touched a little bit about the possible ancient Druid connections. And from what we knew, the Celtic Druids, yeah, they routinely practiced human sacrifice. Lots of references that other ancient writers, Norman writers, the Romans... They had noticed that because, as we said in the main show... But wasn't Chris that said they, they were always practicing around the oak trees or the trees and that there's no, no, not a I, lot of trees on the <laughs> peninsula, or was that you? That was me, because yeah. uh, I don't, of course, know that, and, and not many people would, because 
as I said in the main show, they didn't keep many no records of their owns. Well, they didn't. These are rituals that are sacred to them. So you have somebody like a hierophant who keeps all the traditions and rituals and maybe on secret parchments or in their head. They just know that and they pass it down. It was Pliny. I don't know if it was Pliny the Elder or Pliny the Younger, I think his nephew. P-L-I-N-Y, right? Yes. Pliny the Elder was a, a naval admiral, I believe, in the Roman uh, in the Roman Navy, naturalist and philosopher and writer and historian. And he is the one who said that it, he thought it was the practice of the Celtic Druids to only do their ceremonies in oak groves. You know, so then you're thinking like, well, that peninsula has always had kind of really rough weather. And there are trees there, but one of the sources we read, the trees only seem to grow behind that one wall there. So, I mean, they grow taller than the, than the wall, but not a lot of natural trees and, and woods there. So you wonder, you know, were there oaks there? Not necessarily. I, I was reading a little bit about that, bef you know, after we did it, wondering if I'd made a mistake. Well, we don't know what practices they had there. Maybe they did their their human sacrifices in a peninsula because that was favorable to them. So we just don't know. But definitely what we found out is that little peninsula there has seen a lot, a lot of bloodshed. Yeah. A lot, a lot of bloodshed over the years. And it may have started with these Celtic Druids. So that is something to consider. But uh, as Brent Swanser was saying, it's, you know, thousands of years of magic taking place and uh, sacrifices, and it was a very sacred place to them. So the ground is imbued with a lot of magical history and secrets and bloodshed. So maybe this is why, uh, if there's any reports of Satanists doing rituals there, it's because of this history. And also when you have buildings that have been long abandoned, it's a good place to do that kind of stuff. Crepes around in the dark in your robes. Yeah. And your well, oils. That's what I do. <laughs> and your oils. Your oils. oils. Oh, and your, okay. your, your robes and your natural boils. oils. And, uh, All right, where are we here? In well, we're, we're at 5-6 here. Okay, so gotcha. we're talking about a similar story to the Loftus Hall happening at the Hellfire Club. And there are other stories of the devil dealing in at card games. As we talked about in the main show, maybe it's a popular folklore kind of setup. The devil goes down to Georgia because you're gambling with the devil for your soul or something big. And there's plenty of that in this uh, as well, coming from these Hellfire Clubs. So what the account is, and I think we pulled some of this from the Dark Emerald Tales blog. That's a fun website about Irish history and, and uh, some ghost hauntings and things like that. If it reminds you, this Loftus story, there's an identical story told of a card game being held at the notorious Hellfire Club of Dublin on Montpelier Hill, where a stranger with cloven hooves four feet, sits down at the table, plays cards. So as we as we set that up, it's a very similar story, but it's not so much having to do with the family and, of course, with romance. This is just somebody discovering the devil, and, of course, they, they have to poof, go away. Yeah. That's very kind of an old uh, trope, you could say. The Hellfire Club on Montpelier Hill was the site of a hunting lodge known as Dolly Mount, and, and that lodge was owned by Henry Loftus. So that's oh, okay. been put forward. All right, so that's the question that I have then is, the Hellfire Club and Montpelier Hill, which is where this structure is now, there's still a structure there, which Chris showed us, we Googled while we were talking yes, about Yes, Montpelier it. Hill, there is a, it's is an old stone Is that the actual building? That was the... Is that Loftus's building, the hunting lodge, or did, was no, no, that went away that, gonna, and then a new thing We're going to get into that. Yeah, that's the deal, is that that building, uh, the old one that's very decrepit, that's the site of the old Hellfire Club. And Dolly Mount, as we'll see here, is another 
building and different we'll, location. We'll, yeah, we'll see why. Same area, but a different location. Exactly. So as I was telling Scott at lunch today, there's we could do a whole story on on Montpelier Hill because there's like four or five ancient structures there that are all terribly haunted. But this could be why there was confusion about the idea of Loftus owning the Hellfire Club. He didn't. Technically, he owned a nearby structure at a prior time. Yes, let's not jump ahead, shall okay, we? Okay, sorry, gonna... sorry, sorry. <laughs> no, See, no, that's we're gonna... what happens. I'm yeah, no, no, I, I want to ahead. agree with you. I just, I again, I you know jotted this stuff down about three or four weeks ago, so I can't even remember what's what's going on here. But people make that connection, you know. And there's a lot of like good story elements here. It's the uh, you know Henry Loftus taking residence in the hall in 1666, 666, another cloven-hooved figure visiting one of these buildings playing cards and maybe cursing the place, or maybe Henry Loftus selling his soul to the devil to build a place. Seems like a, a steep price for a reno. Wait, the 1666 the, residence, that was for the other structure that's nearby, what later became the I Hellfire believe Club. so, okay. yes. So as we as we inch towards that, that's kind of the, the setup there. And of course, like I said, there's a lot of good tropes coming up here. Uh, I think 2016 was the 666th anniversary Mm. of the founding of the mansion house known as Loftus Hall. And people were wondering, is the devil going to show up then for the anniversary? Did and uh, I think he's, something's there all the time. That's right, why it's, 20, such a, it's a great place to go visit. That would be yeah. the year 1350. Yeah, mm, 666 oh, years okay. prior would be 1350. Yeah, who knows? I, so I get, that would yeah. have been when Loftus Hall was, was founded, 1350. Uh, no. Well, remember back when we were talking about Redmond Hall? It, that would the, have been the, a Redmond the, Hall. 1300s would have been Redmond. Yeah, exactly. So it's, uh, the site has had a building on it, but You have to be careful actual... about our language. So what we're talking about is the founding of the building that was there prior to Loftus Hall being built in the same place. Yes, important note here. If you've not heard the, the two-part <laughs> series, You're gonna go be confused. stop now. I mean, I'm confused. I yeah. heard it. I mean, I'm, you may be a patron. <laughs> if, yeah, you may be a patron, and, and it's like, well, here's a little fun little bonus thing it's not a laborious six hours long so i'll just listen to this first yeah. well uh it would help to go to listen to the loftus hall parts because again that's based on what we're talking about here for the record their patrons patreon is the website i don't call yeah. them patreons because that's like a silent sounds like a robot or yeah something. patreon you're a patreon well yeah but you're a patron under this uh under they're this a platform. patron on the patreon i don't know Patreon's a made-up word. Let's move on, shall we? We're moving on. So there are several Hellfire Clubs that sprang up in England and Ireland during the 18th century. Now, the first official one, the first official Hellfire Club, was established in 1718 in London by Philip, the Duke of Wharton, along with several of his high society cronies. You understand these are privileged people. They are uh, usually politicians. They're higher than gentry. They're nobility. They have titles, and they want to hang out and do their business. And, of course, there is a lot of structure to high society and their rules and what's proper and what's not and what you can be seen doing. Nowadays, people can do anything. There's no shame. So back then, you could be shamed and... and face the societal fallout from that. So, you know, Philip, the Duke of Wharton, kind of had this original idea, or I guess the original idea behind Wharton's club is that it was meant to be a satirical prank against proper society. That's what I'm getting at here, is that you're all prim and proper. Well, we know you're a bunch of hypocrites, and we're just going to have fun anyway. So here's a little joke that's going to mock you, basically, while we can also still hang out and drink. Well, and this is something that I remember that I asked Chris Rush about. I asked if this was, you know, just thumbing their nose at 
yeah. proper society, which seems like how it started, but he seemed to imply that then things got kind of out of hand. Well, as they always do. Yeah. It's, it's like the Lord of the Flies hey, situation. Look, I, you know, it, it was in 1999, I went, to, I went to Burning Man once, and it was like, well, this is a fun idea. And then now it just sounds, it just sounds even more ridiculous. I'm sorry if you, you know, it, it's more than I want to deal with. Same yeah. with Coachella. I went back in the early days, and now, like, once you have Coachella fashion, like, it's over. Yeah. There's floppy leather hats. Like, no, we're done. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. That's fine. You kids can continue. It just sounds out of hand. So anything Forest that was a good before idea before it was cool. It was kind of yeah. It was it was kind of it was just a bunch of cool bands playing. Yeah, yeah. I think when people are being helicoptered in, yeah, it's over. Yeah. So that's what happens with any of these establishments. It starts off as a fun thing. Well, same thing with Burning Man. It was a it was a toast to this guy's breaking up of his marriage on the beach in San Francisco. I believe that's the the original story. But he burned. They burned all of his old, yeah, or just all of his old stuff that he had with his ex wife or ex girlfriend or whatever is kind of a, a cleansing. And I think, well, this is kind of fun hanging out, and there's a fire, and we're enjoying ourselves. And then next thing you know, there's forty thousand people. Yeah. And a documentary being made. Once you, like, that's the other thing. Once you have a documentary made being about it, it's over. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's just not cool Or anymore. sometimes yeah. ahead of time. Look at the fire Festival. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, Actually, no, that yeah. was made after the fact, but the festival never it, happened. Exactly. So uh, it just had to be documented how ridiculous that was. There is a fire Festival 2.0 happening. So, Jeez, please stop, people. Anyway, and stop with the challenges. The other thing about the idea behind Wharton's Club is that it was a mocking of religion and that was a huge thing back then people took it very seriously as they had for the you know since the calendar rolled over we could say and by that time though i think in the 17th century the 18th century people were pretty self-righteous about it and judgmental to a degree and so what happens is that you have people who kind of see the hypocrisy of that and, and people kind of using that as, uh, you know, as, as people will do now as an excuse to like, well, I'm not, you look at me, I'm, I am a good Christian. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not to be blamed or whatever. So they were doing that to, to mock the societal rules of the time. And of course, so these are, these were, are the early goths. Well, <laughs> no. Okay. Uh, I feel like no, the because it, well, it is uh, actually you're getting into. Uh, I mean, obviously I, it, that gets into the whole Visigoth thing, but I'm I'm just saying it's any yeah. any group that is getting together and doing something different to, as I said, thumb their nose at society's current standards and norms. No, but then the century following that, it is kind of gothic. That's right. where that you know that that comes into uh, comes into play here. This at the time they were engaging in blasphemy. Actually, you know, right. with their with their mocking um, rituals. And it was a popular trend in England at the time to engage in blasphemy because, you know, as you said, when, when everybody's doing it and this is what decent people do, this is what the righteous do, and if you're not doing it, you're a, a piece of crap. So they would engage in a club that would kind of mock this, and they would have foods that were titled after kind of a mocking religious themes, you could say, which yeah. was considered blasphemous at the time. Well, it was meant to be more of a joke for shock value and a way to eat, you know, these blaspheme themes dishes and, and get drunk on a Sunday night. I think they they met on Sunday nights. Imagine, the, you know, start the week off on a Monday with a massive hangover. 
I don't know anything about that. Of course not. <laughs> it was, it's their form of Sunday fun day. Well, their yeah. supposed president of their club was the devil. Right. Okay, so you can see where this is going, where it's just like, it's kind of a joke, because that's outrageous, right? People are like, you can't have the devil as, you know, as your president. But there wasn't any claimed devil worshiping going on, at least not at Wharton's club. They just instead call themselves devils, where the, you know, and because it's, they're engaging in these, uh, you know, prankish and... Uh, outrageous behavior. So I was completely wrong when I said the first one was the one in Dublin. Well, uh, it, maybe it was the, the first one. one in Ireland. Yeah, it's hard. It to, it's hard to say. It's, you know, because you're saying here, these are these ones earlier ones, or the first official one was London. Well, the first one with the title, you know, it's like, yeah. yes, there's been plenty of chicken restaurants where maybe scantily clad women are serving hot wings. Yeah. The first one called Hooters is somewhere, you know, yeah. <laughs> there's a, there was a first Hooters somewhere. Yeah. But after that, it's like, yes, there's plenty of other restaurants where that's the theme and the, to entice you to come in. You know, so to call it the official Hellfire Club with that name, that seems to be the first one there in, in London, again, established by the Duke uh, of Wharton, Philip, to a degree. But we're talking about the notorious, uh, you know, actions, the Order of the Friars of St. Francis, that was one of the most notorious ones. And... It seems that the name was, I guess, not so much a franchise title, but just a name freely used to describe these gentlemen clubs where important members of society, often those involved in politics, as we said, would gather to indulge in libertine behavior or what was considered immoral, lewd, lascivious acts of the day, all the stuff that you do in private, <laughs> and away from prying eyes. They yeah. didn't want people to know what they were up to, because imagine... If you have a house and you're rich and it's a big manor house, you also have servants. There are people there all the time yeah. that, you know, and also family, you know? So it's not like today where you invite people over and who knows what they're doing, you know, in your, in your basement with your devices, you can do whatever you want in the privacy of your own home. But back then, wait, what devices are in the basement? Oh, come on. Use your imagination. That's if you just look at history, there's all kinds of, there's always been devices. Okay. I'm going to leave it at that. All right. I, I don't just, need to. Don't, I wasn't don't, sure what, don't, well, you uh, said you. I sure hope you weren't, you know, talking about me. I don't have any, I don't even have a basement. No, it's I know. California. He, it, yeah. He's, uh, he, he's got a, it's mostly, uh, I, I would say electronics, gadgets. It's and, a furnace. Uh, yeah. That's all that's in there. It's like, they call it a <laughs> California basement. So it's oh, I see what like you're a saying. large refrigerator. Very nice. Most of the houses, of course. Not enough place. room to, to get away with this stuff. So you no. need a club. That's why these were established. Just for simple things like getting drunk, gambling, mocking the prevailing religious customs and attitudes with their own ceremonies, these clubs. They would they'd invent their own mocking religious rites and ceremonies. And also, of course, hooking up with improper ladies who would usually not be seen in pubs because that was not considered proper. So it's a place to get drunk with women in a, you know, larger social gathering. Well, because of what went on there, not much is known to those outside of these clubs of what actually did go on there uh, or who was a member. But apparently there were rumors that the clubs were remotely connected to an elite secret society known as the Order of the Second Circle. This sounds sound very uh, Illuminati-esque. Well, they all have their roots in that. You know what I'm saying? Every secret society, it's even if you don't, you you could call yourself that. We could start a club, have special robes with patches and and secret rites and rituals, and we you do stuff. Have yeah, but I'm not putting a we robe on. We even have a on. secret <laughs> patch. <laughs> There's no astonishing legend bathrobe yet. Maybe that's yeah. in the works. People have asked for that. Oh, they've asked for all kinds of things. Uh, I think we should do one of those. Uh, what? Uh, 
that snuggy slanket thing or whatever you put it on. It's like a giant it's, onesie. It's the slanket. Now, yeah. there, and then there are baby onesies you can uh, we see all the time. You can get with a show logo, but uh, yeah. your baby may not approve of that. So. <laughs> But you know what I'm saying? Once you add some secrecy and you meet regularly and people are like, you know, it's the whole neighbor thing. Like, well, what's going on over there? What's he building over there? You know, it's the old Tom Waits song. It's like, yeah. well, what's going on? We want to know. Let us in. We we need to know. It's it's the same thing with uh, the Masons. What are they doing? Why are all the political leaders Masons? What's going on? And and it builds suspicion. That's human nature. Uh, as you were ta- telling me about, was it nextdoor.com? Oh, yeah. Is that what Ooh, it is? Oh, man, that place is a mess. Well, that's what happens. It's like, I think there's I think there's drug dealing going on. There's devil worshiping on that abandoned house. Ugh. There are people, they're marching through in, in, in rituals. And it's like, no, there's a church ceremony. <laughs> there's, there's a, a church, church service. like two blocks over, and there's no parking because it's LA. That legit happened in a neighborhood connected to mine. And it's one of the reasons I hardly go on that website, but the, yeah. it, you know, it's like a micro website for people that live in a neighbor. You have to prove you live in it to get on it. So it's mm-hmm. closed, but they talk about crime and whatever. The problem is everybody is peeking through their curtains, thinking that everything that happens on their street yeah. is like their imminent death. Is it's, at hand. it's 300 Gladys Kravitzes from <laughs> Bewitched. All like, oh, oh my gosh, there's something going on over there. Yeah. That's human nature. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. to, to kind of wonder what they're up to. And they're fear often of the wrong. unknown. It's, it's the whole yeah. reason we have a show. Fear of the other, fear <laughs> of the unknown, uh, despise contempt for your neighbor's what he's referring to is like, wasn't there a big stir about like, uh, you know, what's going on over there? there yeah, there like was a whole crime. long thread about all these cars parking and people going down this trail through an empty lot or the end of a cul-de-sac. And then they would come back a little bit later and yeah. cutting through some alley or something and then coming back. And all the people on next door were convinced that they were making drug deals and returning to their cars. Oh, that's what it When was. in fact, they were all attending like a wedding or a night <laughs> service or Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. Yeah. And so that's... Oh, yeah, that yeah. was a church. All oh, right, at the church. At the church, right. so which was on the other thing. side of the bushes. Yeah, it's okay. just like, come I on. I just want to see the resu- the following up comments. Like, yeah. you know, people calm down. See, that's the problem with that is just, it's completely polarized. There's either the people that are convinced the sky is falling and the other people that make horrific fun of the people that think the sky is falling. Mm. And then there's me lurking and trying to figure out where <laughs> somewhere in the middle there's a reality. Well, that's a good point because it's with these hellfire clubs is that, yes, there's a lot of like, you know, tongue wagging and finger pointing and like, what are they doing over there? And I'll bet it's, I'll bet it's lascivious. Well, it was. Yeah. <laughs> that's where all that stuff's <laughs> going on because you didn't have the outlets that you do now. And as we said, there's a lot of clampdown on proper behavior. So when you start a club like that, it's like, a, you know, Sir Francis, you like to drink? Yes, I do. You like the ladies? Yes, I do. You like gambling? Yes. Check. Let's start a club. Yeah. That's how this formed because, again, these are privileged people. They have money for this kind of stuff. And they, you know, they're learned. They are, they are well-read. They know a lot about uh, classical literature, which is where I'm guessing this this title, The Order of the Second Circle, came from. I'm guessing it has something to do with Dante's Inferno and its second circle of hell, where the theme is lust. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. That kind of tells you what the club's about, right? So trying to find a detailed account of some of the members playing cards with a hoofed devil may be very hard to find, but cards... And other gambling was a common activity there, going on night and day, and with some outrageous side wagers going on, to be sure. Remember I told you one involving a young woman in a hot air balloon? 
<laughs> so yeah, we don't get into that. Go look that up. It's kind of a fun wager. Well, uh, look, we can safely say that, and, and our patrons, I think, may, may be a little bit of an older crowd. So just here's a little bit of a warning, but I think I can whitewash this a little oh, bit. Dear. Uh, it's essentially it was a hot air balloon version of the Mile High Club. Yeah, <laughs> who was so going to those of you that who was going to accomplish that first? You yeah, know? and, 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 and the hot air balloon being a, a relatively new invention. What was the payment was five hundred or or something like that uh, for it's, proof it's, that it happened? I mean, it's uh, moving on. We. Uh, <laughs> There's a history of all kinds of behavior. And I think most of the time it was, you know, not anything that different that wasn't going on at a sports bar, except that it's a, it's, it's a lot more private. Oh, so they so had trivia? Maybe at the time. I kind of like the trivia at the bars. You, know, well, you have to like, right. There's, kind of there's no machines there, but there was a lot of wagering because again, you couldn't really gamble at your own, you know, you, you could, you could have people over for cards Certainly, but you can't get all that rowdy because people start to, you know, notice and wonder what you're doing. So uh, you start a club and, you know, you thought that people party now hard. They party just as hard. They, this is like all night gambling, all night drinking, all the other stuff that they were doing. And they did it just as hard. We're just It's not as many, again, devices and <laughs> chemicals and what they had now. But certainly plenty of booze and uh, and wild imaginations. So these were notorious within their communities. People did suspect what was going on because, yeah, at some point you can kind of hear or, or you know, people in the countryside kind of know that they know when you've been up all night partying. Yeah. So that was going on. But another uh, famous gentleman's club that was associated with the Hellfire is Brooks. And... That was established in 1764 on St. James Street in London, and it combined uh, with the St. James Club. You've certainly heard of that name. Yeah, well, there was here. one here on Sunset Boulevard. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, I'm sure, that's, I'm sure that's where they, they took it. Which now Sunset Tower, which was its original name. Yeah. It went to... It was the Argyle for Yeah, a while. it went from Sunset Tower to St. James to mm -hmm. the Argyle, and now it's back to Sunset Tower. Right. Which is what it was originally called. Yeah. Right. So that famous iteration of a gentleman's club, the St. James Club... It took on its current, I guess, version in 1978, and that still seems to be going. But that's, again, that's a classic, you know, I think when you think about gentlemen's clubs in England, that's kind of what you picture there from the movies, you know, the high-backed wing chairs. Yeah, this is more of an like old a guy falling asleep. Rudyard <laughs> Kipling kind of situation. Yeah, exactly. So, and also, yeah. I always think of uh, the clubs in New York, like, that are depicted in... Oh, um, yeah. Trading places, for example, with well, Eddie, Eddie Murphy and Danny. Right. Well, that's <laughs> yes. Every every place with old guys and money. That's, and cigars. <laughs> and cigars who want to get away from, uh, well, in this case, probably they're so old, they're getting away from uh, women, you know, just so they can have a place to nap and not get bogged and, and drink. That's where they go. Uh, but oh. what, was the, what was the famous one in New York that actually has a, I think it's got a portrait of John Wilkes Booth's brother. Oh, yeah. Done by... Uh, John Singer Sargent. Yeah, I know the one you're talking about, but I can't remember the name. Yeah, Here, let me look it up while you okay. keep talking. There you go. Okay. We're going to now look at the Hellfire Club in Ireland, specifically. Yeah. Again, because we've had several listeners suggest to us that it would be fun to cover, and Richard Parsons is connected, and, uh, you know, so we may dig more into this in the future, maybe. But for now, let's just get a little background on what we've dug up so far that hopefully you'll find interesting. The background here on the one in Ireland is that it is said to have been founded by Richard Parsons, the first Earl of Ross, uh, James Worsdale, and Lord Blaney. Those are the three guys it's said to have uh, 
kind of started up this idea, at least in Ireland here. I got the place for oh, you. Oh, the you Players go. Clubhouse. There you go. <laughs> the Players. Yeah, How it's appropriate. Now, it's now um, at a museum. What do you mean? Oh, it is a that museum? Or is a built of oh. Edmund Booth, John Wilkes Booth's brother yeah. that John Singer Sargent painted is now in the collection at the Eamon Carter Museum of American Art. And at one point it was at the Met, so I guess it's not at the Players Clubhouse anymore. Right, right. Is the Players Clubhouse still a thing? Let's see. Yeah, historic private social club founded by yeah. founded by the actor Edwin Booth. There you go. Talk about conspiracy, because uh, he was a politician, wasn't he? Yeah. The quote on the page under the players is a, a certain club. <laughs> well, it's, private club yeah. founded in 1888 when Edwin Booth, the greatest American actor of his time, purchased a Gothic Revival-style mansion facing Gramercy Park and commissioned architect Stanford White to transform it into a certain club mm. for the promotion of social intercourse between the representative members of the dramatic profession and the kindred professions of literature, painting, sculpture, and music, and the patrons of the arts. Yeah, well, a lofty ideal. Indeed. Yeah, well, there you go. So it's uh, people seem, hanging out. Doesn't seem like it is much debauchery in that particular one. Though. No, but I did hear a story of <laughs> Robert Carradine. No, I'm sorry. David Carradine uh, of Kung Fu. Yes. Uh, maybe having a few drinks and throwing a pool ball through a very old and expensive stained glass window. Oh, I've heard that story. Yeah, there you go. So, yeah, eh, stuff happens, but not not like this kind of stuff, because we'll, as we'll see here, this story gets a little dark. Well, the main dude, Richard Parsons, was also Grand Master of the Masonic Grand Lodge of Ireland for six years, as well as a notorious libertine, profligate, nihilist, witty freethinker, and shunner of the moral and religious customs of the day. Now, to be clear, none of those bad habits are or were endorsed by Freemasonry. So I, I don't want people to start making that connection of like, oh, there you go, Masons doing secret stuff getting wild. That is not part of Freemasonry. They just happen to be Masons who also enjoyed these kind of things. What does profligate? profligate? Uh, you should, why don't you look it up right now? Okay, I'll look it up. Yeah. I know what a libertine is. What? Right. And I always, uh, prof. Not, nihilist basically meaning that it's like live, live, you know, live fast, die young, and leave a good-looking corpse. Okay, so, uh, profligate. Uh, recklessly extravagant or wasteful in the use of resources. Okay. You know, keep going. That's There's Probably definition two or three. Wasteful, extravagant, spendthrift, improvident, prodigal, immoderate, excessive, thriftless, imprudent, reckless, irresponsible, libertine, debauchee. Yeah. Degenerate, there reprobate. You now you're getting rude, lecher, That's right. rake. Okay. Loose liver. Uh-huh. Loose liver. That's a good one. Dissolute person. Wait, yeah. Wanna, dissolute. Basically, a licentious, yeah. dissolute person. Mm -hmm. Lech. Mm-hmm. An out-and-out -out profligate, darting from one partner to the next. Mm. There you go. I know some profligates. That's uh, kind of sums up the gentlemen here, at least their side hobbies and predilections. Mm, indeed. And here's another connection, but again, not connected. Philip, the Duke of Wharton, also became Grand Master of the Premier Grand Lodge of England. Mm. Yeah. Parsons' family had settled at New Ross in County Wexford in the early 16th century, so they were only around 20 miles, or I guess 32 kilometers, north of Loftus Hall. This, the Parsons family. Okay, right. And this Parsons, this Richard Parsons, this is the guy that is absolutely notorious in Ireland, right? For, uh, for there, it, associated with the Hellfire Club. I feel like I remember Chris Rush specifically. Yeah, yeah. Missed, yeah, he is one of the guys. Guy. It's yeah. not, uh, there are some bad characters, let's say, because when you attract that kind of, uh, like, this is what's going on, then not all those people are just 
jolly good fellows who like to drink and and laugh and tell dirty jokes. You know, there are bad characters always throughout history. Yeah. There's never been a great time where like, oh, this is all peaceful and lovely. It's like, no, people are the same. Yeah. They just have different dress and and, and they do different themed things throughout the ages. Well, but there's always like, been bad people around. Initial cult of celebrity, you know, and uh, yeah. or, or cult of personality, too. And I, I'm sure people thought they knew these folks. But you, let me just tell you, as someone who has lived and worked around Hollywood a long time, you. You don't know these folks at all. And none of them are what you think they are, except Tom Hanks. He's super nice. <laughs> he is but super like, uh, nice. Outside of that. I think his son Colin Hanks is also super Colin's nice. Colin's a great guy. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. these, the rest of them. You're exactly right. These folks have a public facing face. They're civic leaders in a lot of cases. So they are known people. But these guys are kind of rascals in a really deep sense here. And they happen to be pals. And again, being civic leaders and politicians, military officers, they also happen to be Masons. And a few of these guys had high ranking positions. But again, this is, has nothing to do with Freemasonry. Mm-hmm. Again, you can have a club outside of that. Yes. Uh, and just have met through Freemasonry. But a subclub. Yeah. yeah, yeah right. So two of these guys were kind of grandmasters here. Which is different from Subway. Right. Well, listen to this guy. James Worsdale, born in 1692, died 1767. He was no slouch himself in the rakish scoundrel party animal department. So he's born very modestly of low birth. Uh, His father was a pigment, a paint pigment grinder for fine artists. But through this, he learned painting. And Although he was born low, he became apprentice to the leading portrait painter of the time, Sir Godfrey Neller. If you don't know him, Neller famously painted a lot of monarchs of the era, and as court painter, uh, this included four famous paintings of Sir Isaac Newton. Ah. You prop- so I'm sure you've seen his work. Uh, there is one with, I think, uh, Newton as a younger man. He's got a, that curly wig on. Yeah. It's very famous. Yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. That's the dude. Neller, that's Godfrey a, Neller. For those of you interested, that's K-N-E-L-L-E-R. Yes. There you go. You know, he was apprenticed to him until Neller found out that he'd secretly married his niece and then he fired him. Neller found out, wait a minute, this is yes. some grammar question here. Yeah. Neller found out that he'd secretly married Neller's niece. Yes, right. Not no. his own niece. No, no, no. Because <laughs> there's a little bit of a kind of great balls of fire thing happening. Uh, Neller found out he secretly married Neller's, Neller's niece. niece. So yeah, he, he was married a young the man. boss's niece. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, again, being a, he wasn't, I guess, maybe who knows what his personality was like. He was quite a character, but he's a young man here. So, of course, he, you know, sees a young lady. They hang out. They get married secretly. Neller did not like that. So he fired him. But uh, I think at that point, Worsdale had picked up enough painting skills that he can kind of make a living at it. So like, you, sir, are fired. <laughs> no, I'll see you at Thanksgiving. Yes. I, mean, <laughs> but I don't know if it was really... Oh, which, of course, a, uh, they didn't have Thanksgiving, but, you know. Oh, that's right. There you example. go. Yes. Uh, at some gathering. I'm sure he was not invited. I'm not even sure if it was a legal marriage. Uh, I hope for her sake it wasn't. Uh, well, here's a guy who's kind of a con man from the beginning. Worsdale claimed to be his son-in-law, Neller, and even his own son, Wait, Neller's son. He claimed that, but he's married to the niece, not the child. 
of Nailers. Exactly. Right. Okay. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, oh, he a, went out. He's doing a six degrees of separation. That's thing. He's exactly like, yeah, what I'm Sydney saying. Sydney Portier is my dad. Yeah, right. I got you. It's like, really? Yeah. It's okay. like, well, he's my uncle. Which one is it? Or that Rockefeller guy. That one was amazing. There's a lot of that happening. And yeah. it's so basically. So goes back all the way back to this time period. He had the gift. Oh, it's from the beginning of time, yeah. sir. Right? But that's he's who got the I gift am. Of, he's got the gift of gab, yeah. this guy. Because along with being a portrait painter, he was mostly known during his time as an actor. A proud and flamboyant philanderer, a bold and witty conversationalist, a literary fraud, <laughs> a libertine, and was enough of a silver-tongued devil that he wormed his way into the most exclusive literary circles of the day. So, I, you know what? I've never seen Six Degrees of Separation, but I imagine that's what oh, that young man amazing. is like. I am yeah. sure it is. You gotta see it. I, I, it's on the list forever. But... Of course, he learns everything he needs to know about Portier from uh -huh. being in jail. Oh, really? With okay. someone who knew. Ah. Yeah, so he got all the information, and then, you know, which you hear that story a lot, too. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. Somebody did time, got the scoop, came out, pretended to be the person that was in jail or yeah. whatever. There were, yeah, or, you know, or the military, and then yeah. that person dies, and uh, that's the, you know, yeah. the, the madman. The, the idea, though, is that this guy's a quick study. He's, uh, he's not applying himself <laughs> in a most um, proper manner. Yeah. But he's a good conversationalist. Like, he can worm his way in, and he's got a little bit of painting skills, so he would get commissions for paintings from these rich people. And he did worm his way in to these higher circles of society that he would normally not be allowed. So, yes, you're right. Absolutely a uh, six degrees of separation thing, and it was his confidence man-like skills that probably got him palling around and partying with nobility like Richard Parsons. Mm. Now, there do seem to be still some secret hellfire clubs in existence in Ireland, but they're mostly connected to the universities there. Like uh, Trinity College has one, uh, Maynooth University, they have theirs. It's kind and, of like um, a skull and bones type thing. It's college. There's plenty of drinking going on, and, yeah. you know, but not probably much devil worshiping, hopefully. <laughs> you know, not, they're not getting that ritualistic, but it's a place where they, you know, they, people tell uh, uh, poems they've written, they sing songs, they drink, they BS, they just have a good time, but you, it's under the moniker of a formal university club. So that's the existence of them or the iteration of those today in Ireland. And they also have their mock ceremonies, you know, and it's a lot of tradition. Yes, you're right. So Skull and Bones and uh, some of these other fraternal organizations where drinking is allowed, that would be the form that lasts today. But in their private hours, who knows what kind of clubs people have formed. There is a New Orleans <laughs> a drinking club or, you know, basically it's a Bacchus theme type club that was based on some of the works of Richard Parsons that takes place today. Remember, I sent you that article? Yeah. And it's just kind of, to me, it was kind of gross. But yeah. <laughs> that's going on with just a lot of probably gallons and gallons of boxed gala wine and <laughs> middle-aged people. It's not, yeah. it's not attractive. debauchery. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> anyway, if there were stuff going on today, you're not going to hear about it. They're not going to tell you. It's not going to be printed. Well, to an extent. I mean, there are clubs. I know. I remember from living in New York and yeah. even reading some articles recently. There are things that are similar still going on, even in Manhattan. where they Well, that's the art. They rent, the, like, this real estate, and some person who is known for it throws, yeah. like, these really serious, like, eyes wide shut kind of parties. That is exactly. So that is the... That's still happening. Right. That's the theme of uh, the one in New Orleans. Yeah. Inspired by this book that was written by Richard Parsons. And, uh, you know, where it turned out, it started as a drinking, uh, wine drinking club or wine appreciation club by six of the guys. And they said, well, these guys are kind of stuffy. 
So they started their own thing, and over the years it turns into this. So right. of course, you that's know. the article you sent me. Now that we've yeah. mentioned it so many times, we should post that with this on Patreon. No, no, it's just it's kind of distasteful. Well, it is. <laughs> so, well, if you want to yeah. know, you know, post a comment and we'll we'll message it to you. Just Google it, and uh, yeah, Along the order of, of Dionysius, uh, <laughs> the order of Dionysius, and uh, it's you know it's it's based in old traditions of these Greek uh, cults. Yeah, that worshipped deities, Pan, Bacchus and whatnot and it, some people actually still believe it they're they're neo-pagans and they they go in for this stuff and people are they're there to drink and get it on with strangers or at least other members of this other members of this club well regarding the connection to a hellfire club and the loftus family and this is where chris rush talked about it in his interview there is a connection to loftus hall and the hellfire club and a story of playing cards with the devil but the connection is through Montpelier Hill. So Montpelier Hill, or Mount Pelier, you can't see this, actually, I wrote this down. It's either the word combine, mm -hmm. Montpelier, or Mount, and then another word, Pelier Hill. It's in County Dublin, Ireland, and it stands 1,257 feet, or 383 meters tall, and the ruins of an old hunting lodge that sits at the summit is commonly referred to as the Hellfire Club. Yes. That's what we were talking about. Remember? Yeah. At the beginning of this, there's an old stone structure. You know, that's the building that the, is commonly referred to as the Hellfire Club. Right. Today. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's not... Which, and it's yeah. ruined. It's like there's there's holes for windows, but you know, that's it. It's you know, The walls are uh, eroded looking. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. A lot of the stone's fallen yeah. and uh, it's in disrepair, but yeah. you can kind of still go inside it. Yes. And as Chris was talking about in his interview, it's open. It's like a park. In it's, a way. It's, yeah, it's, it's basically... But he also implied it's kind of dangerous at night because anyone can be there. Because yeah. he was talking about doing paranormal lockdowns there and everything. Right. Oh, I'm his... sure it's it's uh, tremendously haunted, but it's it's what surprised me is that, you know, any place here, of course, if it's a public park or whatever, you got to monitor it because it's not so much that what people are doing there, it's that they're going to hurt themselves and then they sue the city. Yeah, but you, he you also... Should've, you should have prevented was, me from doing that. He also was making a point, though, that anybody can pop in. Oh, of course. Like I said, there's you know? no there's no, there's no, no ranger, there's no guard, no one's yeah. patrolling it. It's just open, and it's there, and it's ancient. And it's just... Yeah. I mean, not ancient ancient, but it's pretty darn old. Right. And it's a historical building, and there's some graffiti, but generally it just kind of remains in its, in its state. Right. Uh, but I wouldn't go there because, again, I'm not so much afraid of the paranormal and the supernatural. It's other people... Yeah. ...doing their weird things. Yeah. This building, this edifice, stands at a fairly tall mount, little mountain, foothill, as we said, 12, a little over 1,200 feet, and it's not clear what the original Irish name of the hill was, but it's said the hill was known locally as Bevan's Hill, and the building was known locally as the Brass Castle. Now, the hunting lodge was built around 1725 by Irish politician William Connolly, who was Speaker of the Irish House of Commons, and he named his lodge Mount Pelier, and the hill itself can be known by that name as well, Mount Pelier. Now, here's an interesting note. Connolly had purchased Mount Pelier Hill from Philip, the Duke of Wharton, who, as we just mentioned, established the first Hellfire Club in London in 1718. So again, okay. that's just the rich and powerful knowing each other yeah. and doing some deals. And so that's where that land came from. And there's really no connection that we could see of, uh, of any kind of hellfire type business. Originally, the purpose of the hall was for hunting. 
similar to Loftus Hall. It's like any of these country homes, when you're out from the city where you normally live, you it's like a cabin, but a very fancy, you know, vacationing cabin that you do your hunting expeditions from. And Loftus was used as that in its own day. Remember, that's one of the um, uh, one of the hunting parties. That's one of the, one of the famous hunt uh, hauntings happened. Yeah, while there was a, a hunting party of young men or a right. shooting party, as they said. Right. You know, that's the purpose of some of these country homes is to like in the summer you go out there as a extended vacation or just a weekend thing where you go out and and just go shooting and hunting and and experiencing the outdoors away from the city. Now, there is a legend about the building of the Montpelier Hunting Lodge, and that is that the roof blew off during a violent storm as soon as it was completed, and it was believed by local superstition to be the work of the devil, because, you know, part of the construction of Montpelier came from stones taken from an ancient cairn on the hilltop. A cairn being a man-made pile of stones meant to be a memorial or landmark of somebody dying or dead. Or Or it's a marker on a trail. Like a, that's true. In modern yeah. times. A pile of stones. Yeah. But in this but it's case, significant and you usually are expected not to mess with it. Yeah. Except that this case, <laughs> this cairn was part of a passage grave or tomb. So the passage grave is a narrow tunnel or passageway often made out of large megalithic or smaller stones and leading to a single or multiple burial chambers. So this is huh. someone's final resting place or a bunch of people probably don't want it to be messed with. Also, a nearby Neolithic standing stone. Remember, you ever seen those pictures of those? Those yeah. are pretty cool. And uh, a lot of tourist websites will have those. There's just beautiful landscape around there. A lot of them in Ireland and around there. But it's also called a menhir or menhir or menhir, M-E-N-H-I-R. And that had been used as the lintel over the fireplace of the club. So oh, not right. really respectful. Yeah. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So yeah. you don't know what's infused in the in your stone tape theory there <laughs> into this uh into this menhir. But they were using that as a place to hold up the little clock and photos of the family and <laughs> right. can- candles, scented candles on the fireplace mantle. And witness debauchery. Yeah, exactly. That's true. Well, it's it's not exactly respectful of the ancient monuments nearby, you could say. And once again, we have the old case of spolia. Remember that idea? Uh, yes. Essentially using cemetery building materials being constructed or being used to construct something new. So you're starting off with possibly cursed stones in your new building. But hey, it's free building material. Yeah. <laughs> That's usually how it's seen. And and a lot of times the people building that stuff, like they don't care. They're not living there. Yeah. You know, headstones being used or grave markers to uh, to be plastered into, sometimes with, with concrete, into new edifices. Uh, so either the formation or former inhabitants of the grave or the devil himself were right away unhappy about the construction of the hunting lodge. You're starting off on a bad foot. Yeah. <laughs> Between 1735 and 1741, the Mount Pelier Hunting Lodge was used by the fellows of an Irish Hellfire Club as their hangout. And of course, there were stories of drunken debauchery, lewdness, gambling, all that fun stuff, heavily frowned upon by the 18th century society taking place there. But in addition to that, there were stories of occult rituals, blasphemy, either satirical or real, and demonic hauntings taking place there, which over the years have added to its lore of being severely haunted. And of course, that's what people remember most about the place, so much so now that it's known as the Hellfire Club rather than the Mount Pelier Lodge. Right. Because that's the more interesting name, of course. And these stories, 
those are much more interesting to remember and retell. All these uh, these wild stories of possible devil worshipping. Well, that, you know, we had our own satanic panic uh, back in the late 70s. Remember yeah, that? Yeah, here in the U.S. Yeah, so my thinking on that is that, yeah, it was a lot of hype and people were scared and they're passing off these stories. I certainly heard a lot of them coming out of the uh, northern Idaho, eastern Washington area. You know, and as a kid, you're like, ooh, they're spooky and they're creepy and scary, because, you know, much more scary than a ghost story because these are, again, these are people doing yeah. this stuff. People exist. They're real and they do weird stuff and they haul you off into the woods and who knows, you just disappear. And well, people will say like, well, that's all baloney. That's part of the panic and the hype and all that. But there are real stories of that happening. I mean, there are real instances of weird things happening, as we saw in our Beast of Bray Road examination of the film. Yes. By Seth Breedlove. Yeah. Remember the game warden there or the, uh, the oh, yeah. yeah seeing One like, of my oh, favorite yeah. scenes in his movie. Yeah. There's yeah. all, yeah, there's yeah. all kinds of weird stuff going on here. Uh-huh. They come from all over the world. He to had the worship th- here. Yeah. He had the <laughs> thousand yard stare too. Yeah. He'd seen some stuff, as I said in the, uh, <laughs> in that episode. There's a lot of hype and there's a lot of stories, but often, as we say with these traditions and these stories, there's a kernel of truth there that something happened. Somebody saw something or there is something weird and that gets blown out of proportion or added to, but it doesn't take away the fact that something weird did happen there and, yeah. and probably evil. Well, Montpelier Lodge has its own card-playing devil story appearing in print in at least as early as the 1930s. I think that's the first time that kind of popped up in literature or print, and with a pretty similar setup to the Loftus Hall story. It was a dark and stormy night. A mysterious stranger shows up and is invited in. He joins a card game with the members of the club, and at some point, one player drops his card, looks under the table, sees the stranger has a cloven hoof for a foot, and upon being found out, the stranger turns into a ball of flame and escapes. Hmm. Sound familiar, right? Yeah. But if the devil showed up to Montpelier Lodge, the stories would have you believe the members of the Hellfire Club did all they could to welcome him in because Montpelier Hill is fairly remote and therefore its events not likely to be witnessed by anybody except uh, the attendees. (laughs) That's why it was a good place to do all that. It's kind of remote. Like I said, you're not bothering the neighbors with your your loud rock and roll. Right. Nobody really cared. Oh, it's the devil. Great. (laughs) Well, they're doing their business. Hope you brought your wallet. (laughs) (laughs) there's you lose more than your uh, your cash probably yeah uh well it's hard to tell how much of the hellfire club was actually renting the place that lodge you know uh, for their own activities but they they did some it seems and it's therefore hard to exactly tell what went on like Uh i said you don't there's not like a landlord there who's like oh geez these guys i wish i wouldn't have rented to these guys right (laughs) this is the worst vrbo or airbnb (laughs) choice ever i should not have done this they destroyed the place but the place was destroyed because there are plenty of lurid stories about the hellfire club's deeds that have become local legend like that the debauchery gave way to occult practices remember we're talking about uh, it's like you start pretending and then somebody gets the idea it's like the wine club. It's like, hey, what if we invited a bunch of men and women and we just really let loose here? Yeah. That happens over time because you get bored with what you're doing. Well, there's a de-evolution that takes place when yeah. you remove the rules and the structure of society. Exactly. And, you, and then, of course, there's the whole idea of mob mentality. And, right. I mean, you're setting up the perfect environment for this de-evolution. Yeah. Or some people say Devo. <laughs> they, they that would. is what that stands for, by they, the way. Yes, they would say that exactly. De-evolution. After a while, like I said, it's like, how far can we take this? How debauched can we go? What's the next step? Well, occult practices like black masses 
animal sacrifices, and stories of even a human sacrifice. Yeah. Taking place there. Not because, good stuff. No, but again, it's just like, you see this with criminal behavior. It's like, that was a bit of naughty fun. What else can I do? And it's it's a dark, deep spiral downward from there. There is a story, speaking of human sacrifices, there is a story that a dwarf, and that's the wording from the text, that's, you know, yes. not us using that. That's what little people were called then. But a little person, or dwarf as they say, was sacrificed in a ritual during this time. And later on, after the club was reinstated in 1771, there's a story that the members even kidnapped a local farmer's daughter, murdered her, and ate her. Oh, jeez. Yeah. So it, it gets really dark real fast. Yeah. But again, not substantiated, but those were the local rumors of what was going on by these members. And again, high-ranking people. And again, that gives me chills uh, thinking about Elkhorn, Wisconsin, and that, yeah, some of these people are police officers. Right. People who have civic jobs. So that's a little scary. Uh, well, anyway, Mount Pelier has its own exorcism story, too, where a priest supposedly showed up one night while the members were sacrificing a black cat. And this common tale here, this oft-told tale, uh, has the priest performing an exorcism on the cat and released a demon from its dead body. Now, I don't know why a priest was suddenly showed, like, what are you doing here? You know, like, as he showed up to this debaucherous party, maybe to, to berate the guys. And it's like, we're just sacrificing a black cat, nothing nothing much going on, and that sparked the on-the-spot exorcism. So Those there's a lot of little tales. Well, I know. Well, that's all throughout history. Yeah, people have focused on them. Certainly, there's plenty of stories like that associated, you know, with the local folks and the Montpelier Club specifically. And for more black cat lore, at some point when the Hellfire Club was renting Mount Pelier, there was a fire. There are a few stories about how it caught on fire, one being that the members set the fire in retaliation for William Connolly's son not renewing their lease. Again, that's the bad Airbnb scenario. Like, you guys are out of here. Yeah. They get upset. They torch the place. That happens today. People destroying their vacation property. Another story is that the members did it to make the place actually look hellish just scorched and burned. Another gruesome story is that a footman spilled a drink on one of the members after a black mass and that the angry member dumped brandy on the footman and then set him on fire. Then that fire spread around and killed several club members. Yeah, all kinds of just, yeah, really dark stories here. Doesn't matter what age you're from. After that fire, the club was moved to the Killikee Steward's house down the hill for a while which is also said to be very, very haunted by a, a large black cat. That's more UK large black cat lore there, too. Yeah, there's a fair amount of that. There was a lot of it. Apparently, that's a running theme there. Well, this big black ghost cat is connected to the story of the priest who exercised it, or another story of the members dousing the cat with booze and then setting it on fire. Guy's having a really horrible laugh. A plumber, though, working on the steward's house in 1971, is said to have found a grave with a small skeleton in it, either a child or could it have been the sacrificed little person? So, like Loftus, finding yeah. a skeleton that we don't know if it was... Do you think that's connected or do you think those are two different stories? You know, there's a, the, the parallels between these two stories are striking, frankly. They're starting to build up, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, again, we don't know if there's a real connection, perhaps, between these two different properties, but there's a lot of recurring themes that are going on here. Also, on Montpelier Hill, on the northern slopes, is another ruin now known as Carthy's Castle or McCarthy's Castle. 
But when it was built in the late 1700s by Henry Loftus, Earl of Ely, I've been told it's either Ely or Eli. Okay. I think people from England might say Ely. Uh, I believe our patrons are going to be much more forgiving about the pronunciation. <laughs> you never know. One of our listeners is a Loftus descendant, I believe, or at yeah. least has the surname Loftus. And uh, I wonder how they took the story. Well, the Earl of Eli at the time named the building Dolly Mount, and it was also known as the Montpelier House and also the Long House because its design it had a two-story main building at the center and long connections going out from either side, extending from each side with arched gates and numerous connected buildings, each ending in a three-story tower with battlements at the top. So it looked like a very long castle, but long in lengthwise. You know what I'm saying? It's like not a big square. It was uh, very long, like, like two halls joined with this two-story building and these two three-story turret-style round uh, buildings on the ends. Well, Henry Loftus's first wife, Frances Monroe, was the aunt to Dorothea, or as she was known, Dolly Monroe, who it was said was a great beauty, a real hottie back in the day. So the <laughs> hall was named in her honor, Dolly Mount. Ah. And the Loftus family abandoned Dolly Mount after a time, and the place fell into ruin. And in 1950, the entire building was demolished, except for the Western Tower. And that is the bit that is left over and what is called Carthy's Castle. And there's photos of that, yeah. Okay, uh, so this uh, is one of the other structures on the hill, on Montpelier. Yeah, exactly. Hill. So that was Henry Loftus's place, okay? He did not own the Hellfire Club. Again, that was built by somebody else, but it's all in the same kind of hill, different parts of the hill. And so, again, these are all old places, and they all have their old haunting stories. Yeah, so if you look at it, Dolly Mount was... For whatever reason, it's kind of a shame that it was taken all down in the 50s, kind of dismantled, except for this one last turret area. And we have a link to that on the website. There's a travel blog somebody put up, and they put a lot for of great photos. Loftus Dolly Hall Mount. Episodes. Dolly Mount. Yeah, yes, yeah. exactly. But here's an interesting connection. Henry Loftus, the first Earl of Eli, or Eli, and the fourth Viscount Loftus, another title, he was the younger son of Nicholas Loftus and, and Ponsonby. His mother, Anne Ponsonby, was the daughter of William Ponsonby, the first Viscount Duncannon. William Ponsonby also had a son, Henry Ponsonby, an Irish infantry officer and politician, and was reportedly a member in good standing of the Irish Hellfire Club. Okay, this is where I'm going to stop you. Yeah. <laughs> This is the thing I tried to cut from the primary show. I see. You've That's, wormed yeah. it back in here. So I just want well, to understand. No, no wait, 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 just, it back let's in. Just listen. It's, this <laughs> yeah. is like the long list of names and who's right. who and what. I don't know how people follow this, but people are probably smarter than I am. Uh, I have sure. an attention problem. So, uh, right. and no, I'm not saying I have ADD. I'm just saying <laughs> I have a hard time yeah. with a lot of names like this. It actually has plagued me a lot when I, if I read a book with a lot of characters too. So this yes. is maybe more on me than I'm going to say our listeners, but I'm just going to say, let's go through this without the titles. All right. No, so, that's a good idea. No, I know. That's, let's that's a, just that's clean title. it up a little the bit. The reason I added the titles is because everybody, as you said, so rightfully so, everybody's named Henry, everybody's named Nicholas, Anne's mother, uh, you know, was yeah. also it was also named Anne. Right. So there are generations of these right, names. Well, okay, so let's, let's, I want to go back. just for the record. You talk yeah. me through this. Henry Loftus, the first one you're talking about. Okay, here. so Henry Loftus, right, so he's the one who built the Dolly Mount Lodge, right? Did he build Loftus Hall? 
No. That's going to be like on. his son or something. See? It's confusing. No, no, no. Not, not con- no, no, are. not connected. Okay. D- because only because we are so far away from this. I haven't looked yeah. at the notes and yeah, I can't yeah. remember what we said. Right. Let's disconnect Loftus Hall from this right now. Okay. We're talking about the Loftuses and a connection to the Hellfire Club. All right. So the family I believe, in general. No, no. I believe, though, that Henry Loftus and Nicholas Loftus, yes, they, they had a connection to the Hall. I, when you say built... You know, that that place was there for a long time. It got refurbished in the 1870s. Right. and there was a long su- succession of Henrys. All right, so this Henry... Uh, yes, but no, was... they're, they're definitely connected. Like I said, let's not disconnect them. But I, as far as, like, what family member built what, I do believe it may have been Henry Loftus that was... Uh, I think he may have been the one who demanded that Tottenham, yeah. Charles Tottenham, take the name Loftus. Okay, see, that's what I think. So here's what yeah. I think is happening. I think that Henry, who, as you have said here, I'm simplifying your your mm-hmm, statement here, mm-hmm. your research. Henry, who was the youngest son of Nicholas Loftus and Anne Ponsonby, right, would have been the one who specified that his daughter Anne Ponsonby mm-hmm. would, if she was going to marry Tottenham, because yeah. she would be Anne Ponsonby Loftus. She, he would have to take the Loftus name. This Henry Loftus I would probably be the great-grandfather or great-great-grandfather of R. Ann Tottenham, who is buried in the weird coffin, or somewhere in that region. I think an uncle. You think from, an uncle. From timeline. Again, this is why it's confusing, because that timeline of the family tree that I saw cuts off at Anne, and uh, you don't you just see, like, there is issue right. of Charles. So what I did clearly see was that one of the Loftuses, as we know, and I believe he is the uncle and the owner of the hall at the at the moment, to end up in the will, he declares that if Charles Tottenham is going to marry into the family, that he needs to change his name to Loftus. So the name carries on to the hall, because in the will, he would inherit the hall. Additionally, Only if he took the name on. If he did not, right. then he, you know, he gets forfeits it. Well, and here's the thing I remember, because you're saying Henry... Henry Loftus, first mm-hmm. Earl of Eli. I'm going to say Eli. I don't care what if you say it's Ellie. Yeah. I think that Henry, it says he's the younger son of Nicholas. I'm pretty sure Nicholas is the one that was given Loftus Hall after Cromwell's people, after, after they took it. So I think that Nicholas was the first Loftus to be associated with Loftus Hall. But we don't have to say that right now. But right, like, right. So... Nicholas, <laughs> yeah. Nicholas and Anne had a kid, Henry. Well, here's what I can And that Henry's mom... Anne was the daughter of William Ponsonby. William Ponsonby had another son named Henry, who was an Irish infantry officer and politician and was in the Irish Hellfire Club. Yes. I, so I'm sorry. A, I kind of uh, glazed over well, there. Well, I when glazed you over it. when you did. That's what I'm saying. It's <laughs> I know. very hard to follow, no, no, even, here's, even with me trying to simplify. Yeah, yeah here's, here's my simplification for the, the poor, poor listener now. Uh, Henry Loftus, I think the one of the uncles there that was the owner of Loftus Hall at some point, or let's say in charge of it. I don't know how much rebuilding he did or remodeling. It was in pretty state of sad disrepair by the time Ann Tottenham got there. Remember? It was pretty, it was kind of run down. So he occupied or owned the hall at that point. I think it's some iteration and some generational level. All right. So Henry was the younger son of Nicholas Loftus. So he had brothers. That's what I'm saying. Yes. Uh, well, they all did. That makes it even more. Yeah, I know. And then and, and they're, yeah, I'm not sure there's any of the d- duplicate names. But, and I think Nicholas yeah. was the first Loftus to get his mitts on the hall. That's what I believe. I uh, believe that that's who Nicholas was. Okay. I think. I okay. think. I could be wrong. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, let, let's go with that. But okay. when we're talking about 
This particular building, though, as far as there being a connection to the Hellfire Club, that's the point here. Yeah, gotcha. Okay, so Nicholas Loftus, as you said, and Anne Ponsonby, those are the two family names. They're married. They have a son, Henry. Okay, now Henry's mother was Anne Ponsonby, as we just said. She was the daughter of William Ponsonby. Okay. This puts something in my head. Yeah. Hang on. Are we in, we're in the Loftus Hall part two right here, right mm-hmm. now, right? Mm-hmm. Hang on, hang on, mm-hmm. hang on, hang on. I had put in some notes about the kids. So I'm okay. just going to take a look at this. And we actually left this out of the original show. Just give me one second. Yeah. Because I had thought Loftus Hall had possibly eight residents when the story took place. Two mm-hmm. parents and eight kids. This is what I had. I had Anne Loftus Tottenham. Mm-hmm. She would be the mom, so she was Anne Loftus, and then a Charles. So there was Anne and Charles, and then there yes. was the daughter, the kids, Anne Tottenham, the daughter. Uh-huh. That's the one that yeah, went see, mad. there's no Henrys here. Okay, so these Henry, that must be a different Henry, a different chain of kids, because we've got Anne, Elizabeth, Charles, Ponsonby as a first name, mm-hmm. Nicholas, Edward, all in that family. Mm-hmm. So there's no Henry. Okay, so I was about to make a supposition that Henry was possibly our Ann Tottenham's brother, but I think what you're saying is that he's an uncle is correct. Yes, I think, right. So that's what I was thinking is that yeah, he's yeah. an uncle. But here, and then here's the connection. Henry Loftus, his parents were Nicholas Loftus and Ann Ponsonby. Ann Ponsonby had a brother, and her brother was Henry Ponsonby. So there, there you got two Henrys. I know it's confusing. So here's where it boils down to. Henry Loftus had an uncle, Henry Ponsonby, on his mother's side. Mm -hmm. Henry Ponsonby was the member in good standing of the Irish Hellfire Club. Right. So it's his uncle. Right. Who's in the Hellfire Club. Now, the point I'm going to make here is that, you know, as I we, still am not, it's still not abundantly <laughs> clear to me why you wanted to teach this to the listeners, because I still can't follow it. Because we're, it's whose yeah. uncle? Whose uncle is it? Henry Loftus's. But we don't even know who side. Henry is relative yeah, we to do. the other Well, Loftus's. no, no. He was one of the owners of Loftus Hall and the builder of Dolly Mount. Okay, so on you the same are patches. saying that he's an owner of Loftus Hall, because you were saying we weren't. Well, I, uh, I believe that's who he was. I, I do want to say, when you said built, you know, because you said it was he the one who built Loftus Hall. It's like, well, I don't know how much building he did. I do, I do believe. Yeah, I shouldn't have said a, build, because I no, think no. it was. Yeah. He was in direct connection yeah, to possession yeah. of the hall, I believe. But he was the one. I'm talking specifically about this haunted hill here. Okay. With the Hellfire Club. That's right. why I said, like, let's let's put that Loftus aside. Because there is it's a connection. too confusing it for is, us to tie con- it all together. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, there, I think if you boil all that down, the words are correct. But in this yeah. case here, Dolly Mount was built by Henry Loftus. Okay. Okay. Henry Loftus's uncle was in the Hellfire Club, the notorious one. Right. People were looking for a connection. Yeah. That's what I found on my own, just from this little fact here, because here's the next interesting thing that I found. You know, there aren't many records of the Irish Hellfire Club, because you don't want your name associated with it. I mean, people kind of yeah. know at the time you're there, but there's no meeting records of like, who got drunk when and who, you know, laid with who. So right. you you just assume that, yeah, I think he's part of that, and then you go on about your business and you don't keep records. Well, so there aren't many records of who was a member in good standing or what they did there, you know, their activities. But apparently there is one visual record, and this is where I found it was interesting. As we mentioned earlier, the Irish Hellfire Club was founded by Richard Parsons, the first Earl of Ross, and James Worsdale, the con man, the six degrees of 
Separation Con guy. Yes. Now, this comes from a wiki passage, but as we just mentioned, Wurzdale could paint portraits decent enough, and there's a painting by him that hangs in the National Gallery of Ireland titled The Hellfire Club Dublin. In the painting are five members of the club seated around a table, and listen to this rogues gallery if you want a, like a, a, a portrait of, a, <laughs> I guess, a, a literary or word portrait of this portrait of what types of guys these were. One of the people seated there... Uh, Henry, the fourth Baron of Barry of Santry, he was tried and convicted of murder <laughs> in 1739, but he got later pardoned. So maybe a rough guy again, and another Henry. Yes. Another person seated at the table was Simon Luttrell, who was Lord Urnham, later Earl of Carhampton. And at one time he was the Sheriff of Dublin and his rakish behavior earned him the nickname King of Hell, Hell being a district of Dublin notorious for its brothels. He's also believed to have had a poem written about him, the Diaboliad, Diaboliad, dedicated to, quote, the worst man in England. <laughs> so imagine you get a poem written about you stating that you're literally the worst. Yeah. So, and then there's one story from the Hellfire Club while at Mount Pelier that has Luttrell making a pact with the devil for his soul within seven years if the devil would clear his debts. But when the devil came to Mount Pelier Lodge for Luttrell's soul, he distracted the devil and escaped. That classic trick the devil story. Indeed. Do you see where some of yes. these now, the themes are kind of recurring? Is like one of the guys from the Hellfire Club dealt with the devil, made a deal, skipped out on it. Just to refresh your own memory, I mm -hmm. think it is important to put this here in this in this special that we're doing. Mm -hmm. But we did get to this section in the in the crux. So this yeah, will be a little oh, bit sorry. of a, this will be a little bit of a redux for some people. You're absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. yeah, some of this we did uh, read over, but I, I think I, I truncated it and yes. didn't say all this because this because is because I, I was giving of, you the evil eye. I know this is a lot of <laughs> it's a lot of detail, but when you know it's like that's the kind of stuff we like. If you don't like this, then please skip to something else. That's yeah. all I can say because I do right. I do love weird little bits of history. And, but and, uh, make sure and write a horrible review before you go on <laughs> iTunes. <laughs> hey, someone's going to do that. You don't need to really add to the add to the pile here. Yeah. But I do find, like, you know, like I said, no one had written about this really, but I was reading another section here in the in the wiki entry and found that, like, wait, that name sounds familiar, Ponsonby? Yeah. That's got to be related. And then I found in the family tree, like, there's the connection. Right. Be because, again, we were looking, people have been asking us, like, I, and it's been written about in people's blogs, like, there is a connection to Henry Loftus and the devil and the Hellfire Club, and they're all bad dudes, and they're doing devil worshiping and all kinds of horrible things. And maybe that's why it's cursed. You know what I'm saying? This is why it goes back to the haunting. Was Loftus Hall cursed? Why did the devil show up there? Is there a connection? These are the questions that we were trying to answer or see if there was some kind of commonality to them. Indeed. Because it's a weird thing. It's just like, well, why did the devil show up at your house? What are you doing there? Yeah. Who knows? Why would he care to show up there specifically to torment and... You know, if well, the, the story is true, to curse one of the daughters of the guy that made the pact. Well, yeah, and I have thoughts on that, but I want to wait because we're okay. so close to kind of wrapping this up. We're very close. I'm gonna Here we go. I'm going to save them. I'm going to okay. save my thoughts till you do these last Let two Let me, uh, yeah, so here's the other guys that are in the painting. Uh -huh. The three other guys in the painting are Colonel Richard St. George, Colonel Clements, and Colonel Henry Ponsonby. It seems the brother of Anne Ponsonby, Henry Loftus's mother. So the party animal Henry Ponsonby was Henry Loftus's uncle. Yeah. So I know, yes, again, lots of Henrys and lots of family connections. Not to disparage, to be clear, any surviving descendants. Yeah. 
Okay, because I look, we all have people that are disclaimer. <laughs> you know, we all have people in the family tree that have like, well, he was kind of a wild one. Yeah, no reflection on Uncle these Henry. in the family. <laughs> oh my god, that yeah. guy! But you know, hey, come on, he was in the painting. So yeah. again, I not to color him as as having done all the stuff or any kind I of wish I could get dark demonic things. Do a painting of me. Or a painting well, of us here in Blanket Fortiana. It's it's very expensive, and you you don't have time to sit for it. Maybe we could just do a velvet thing. You know? Well, you know what I was wearing? Dogs at pool. <laughs> us at the dogs no, at I don't, the mics. Nobody needs to see this. Not even <laughs> on social media. Uh, what's interesting is I tried some of these family portraits are in the Irish National Gallery, and uh, that great website, the family uh, Tottenham dot name, has some. We posted those on the website, uh, the web page for the for the episode. Yeah, I was hoping to see a portrait of Anne. Ponsonby, just comes, you know, I was curious. She's yeah, described yeah. as a beautiful young woman. Yeah. Like I said, it was a very special occasion. Not everybody sat for a, a portrait. Yeah. And so it's not like taking a snapshot here. You know, again, there are a lot of connections to some of the most infamous self-described dissolute libertines in the 18th century, England and Ireland. It was kind of the original bad boys club. But again, not to drag the family name through the mud, but it's in a painting. It's it is kind of a record of at least one guy hanging out there. Yeah. Not knowing what he did there at the club, but obviously he liked to drink and party. And so it was uh let's loosen this up here. You seem like I had a great sense of humor. And I'm yeah. sure Uncle Henry did too. I'm just curious, like what went on there really? Yeah. But you never know. But these guys did party hard, party hard. And if they had drugs and rock and roll to go along with their sex and their booze back then, they would have all died during the first weekend. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's too much. You would yeah. have uncorked it. Well, the wiki entry at least goes on to say that the you know for the Dublin Hellfire Club. Most of their meetings occurred in Dublin city center at the Eagle Tavern on Cork Hill near Dublin Castle. And accounts of the club's meetings claim that the members drank Scaldine, a mixture of whiskey and hot butter, hmm. and that they left a chair vacant at each gathering for the devil. Well, that sounds kind of tasty. And their club's mascot was a black cat. Well, there you go. Butter, I don't know if that's that either sounds I mean, uh, it sounds creamy and heart warms the the soul or it's just going to give you a horrible stomach ache. I don't know. <laughs> but butter right. and hot whiskey. Yeah, so that's kind of the weird connection that I came through and hopefully that transferred to the main show, but I just thought it was uh, you know, again, people were asking uh, is there a connection and there's slightly Everything one, but you connected. Never... We just can't trace it because everyone yeah. has the same name in the family tree. <laughs> it's, just, it's hard to keep Henry Ponsonby Ann Loftus. See, that yeah. crazily, there was a son named Anne. This confuses things even more. As Forrest said, I am a genealogy buff. Right. right. And I've gone through this stuff in my own tree. It gets yeah. really tricky, especially when you go way far back and the right. names are crazy. And, you know, Philbrook is a variation on Felbrig, which was a land, was a town, uh, was a forest, there's yeah, a Felbrig right. castle, everything. Yeah. I did call and say, that's mine. Can I have it back? But apparently somebody gave it away a long time ago. Oh, I'm sad to hear that. Yeah, well, there's Felbrig plates, too. Well, right, yeah, yeah. Well, but the, prior to that, you know, what's, here's the crazy thing. What yeah. I did trace all the way back, Ancestry is pretty amazing. I, I traced back prior to the family name being Felbrig, it was Labigod. Is that French or, uh, or Norman? Would yeah, be? I think it was Norman. And that is the origin of the word. And I haven't certainly figured it out bigot. So that's, oh, that's wonderful. That's, nice. that's where I come from. Yeah. But Labigod was the name. And then one of the Labigods had a son in Felbrig who became Simon of Felbrig. So then it became D. Felbrig. And then eventually that became Philbrook. There you go. Yeah. So you, again, a callback. It's not to... even my real name. It's just, it's like a. <laughs> no, no, but nobody's a, is. Yeah. It's a twisted version of a town from, you know, yeah. from England. Well, they so. all are. That's what we were saying about Raymond Legros. 
Yeah. Le Gros, Ray, Raymond the Large or the Chubby. I again Back I then would it not yeah. call I would not call a guy fat. He would uh, cut you in half. Strong yeah. there's a legend of Strongbow. He had this apparently that the family still had the sword. Richard DeClair, yeah. uh was it fourth Earl of Pembroke? I'd be surprised if I remember that correctly. But he was the head leader, the Anglo-Norman leader that Raymond Legros came and killed a bunch of locals to make it a safe landing for Strongbow. Yes. And there's a legend that uh, Strongbow, Strongbow was so upset with his son for cowardice that he cut him in half with that sword. Oof. But yeah, look, you know, parenting skills back then, not the greatest. But the idea here is that all these names morphed over time. It would be really rare to have somebody that whose name didn't change with whoever was occupying the land, whether they were Angles of German Nordic descent, Viking descent, or if they were Norman with uh, French and Normandy descent. And it's it's all such a mishmash. So whoever's in control of the area, you blend your name that way uh, well, to, to fit. Well, you know what? The same thing happened when all the immigrants came to America in the 20s and then right at the turn of the century. We have a, a much beloved uncle who passed away, but he his name, uh, he was of Danish descent, Nielsen. Mm-hmm. And he gets to Ellis Island. It's like, it just that's too hard to spell. You're Nelson. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay. Also, so he, yeah, he just went with like, that's fine. My favorite musician. Right. So the, and some people are still spell, you know, have their name spelled that way. And then some of it gets changed. Yeah. So Raymond, uh, that name, a lot of times it's a title that gets conferred upon you or a nickname and you end up with it. And that's the family name. Well, we're going to wrap up this special. The last thing that I was going to say mm-hmm. was that... With regard to the stories that were associated with the Hellfire Club, it, it actually made me rethink a little bit the story associated with Loftus Hall. And I, I regret not saying this in the Loftus Hall series. Right. So this is just for you guys, you uh, Patreons. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's just for you guys. There is the possibility, especially when you go through this long period of time, that the story is not an internal story. We didn't really address that, but that yeah. it's one made up by outsiders. And oh, yeah. as yeah. a result of, because you can imagine with the Hellfire Club, everybody, all the people who were, you know, for the time, the proverbial teetotalers are like, oh my, that place, whoa. And then it has a fire or something. Right. And they're like, well, I'll tell you why it had a fire. The, right. de- the devil showed up. Yeah. You know, and then it becomes this whole thing. And it's the same kind of thing could have happened at Loftus Hall with yeah, like, we- well, I'll tell you why she's locked in the closet. This happened, and I did never posit that in the series that it was an external legend that became ascribed for to an internal event. It's a good point because, as far as we know, we didn't know who first told the story. What was the the genesis of that story, and more importantly, when? Right, and when? Yeah. Because you can disconnect these things. I mean, we want to make connections. That's what we do as humans, but it can be disconnected in that. And had a traumatic experience, or there was some breaking point. She snapped. She fell into mental illness or extreme emotional disturbance, ended up in that state, people kind of had an idea, you know, because again, there's servants that work at the house. The word gets out what's happening there, and uh, and maybe somebody makes up a story. But it's also very real that Father Brodus did come to perform an exorcism. That is cemented there in the local record. I mean, okay, let's say that that's a haunting. Like, people were genuinely freaked out after Anne's death, and they call Father Brodus. But is that connected to this devil story? Literally, I mean, is it, a, is it a result of that? Or are these just two stories? Or, you know, is there a devil story? That ends when Anne's dead. And now there are separate hauntings, not connected to a possibly made-up story, 
but Father Brodus comes to address that. And a couple hundred years later, who knows, but what we're left with is a really good Irish legend. Thank you.